you got to be careful with that. But please don't misunderstand me either. We should never stick our heads in the sand and not be informed on what's going on and why what's happening is happening. If we don't know what's going on, then how can we pray for the world? If we don't know what's going on in the world, how can we influence the world? So we should be paying attention to what's happening around us we should be looking um, for the signs that the Bible gives us concerning the last days. You know, that's, that's extremely important we do that. But in doing that, don't focus on the wrong thing. We've got to look at it through a, the, the lens of a biblical worldview. We've got to look at it through the lens of Scripture. And when we do that, we can know what's going on, why it's going on, and we can also um, still experience... The peace that passes all understanding. Amen? Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Knowing that God is still in control in all things. If you believe that tonight, say amen. God has not in any way forfeited his right to stand in sovereign control of the universe. And this is the same God we call our Heavenly Father. So let me give you just a few verses from Matthew chapter number 24 tonight that maybe hopefully will encourage your heart as it has mine. Matthew 24, and Jesus here is speaking to his disciples about his second coming and about the end of the world. And, and so uh, they asked him, they said, Lord, what do we need to look for when these times come upon us, when, when you come back and, and, um, and do what you're saying? And, and so Jesus says to them, let's just start there in verse, verse 3, Matthew 24, 3. As he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall all these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, and see that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So Jesus said, One of the signs that you can look for is that you're going to hear of wars going on all over the place. 
Wars and rumors of wars. Now, if you're paying attention, you know we're right in the middle of that time right now. You say, well, brother, I mean, there's always been war. You're absolutely right. There's no doubt about that. I read something that Max Licato said just this past week and um, listened to a, a speech he gave. And, and he said that in the 6,000 years of recorded human history, there's only been about 240 years of peace. So we've always experienced war. But when Jesus said you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, what's he mean by that? Well, let me give you two words. He, he's talking about frequency and intensity, all right? These wars that he's talking about is going to become more frequent. Um, and and uh, I think you can look around in the world that we're living in right now and see that frequency has increased as far as wars go and rumors of it. And, and not only that, but intensity is going to increase in the last days. And, and so... Um, he said then in the next verse that there will be uh, earthquakes in many different places. In places that usually don't experience earthquakes, you're going to see that. And again, we've seen that happen in recent years. Frequency and intensity has certainly increased. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, I believe according to what I read on the pages of Scripture, that we are certainly in the beginning of the last days. Now Jesus said, the end is not yet. But you can look for what's coming, and when you see these signs, you know uh, the end is growing near. And so I, I think that's exactly what we're seeing in the day um, today in the world which we live in. I think we are in the beginning of the last days. Now, Jesus did not give a time and an hour when he would come again. Um, and, and, and in his second coming, he did not tell us when that was going to happen. And, and rightly so, because that's not for us to know. That's not in our control or in our power. He said that that was in the control of the Heavenly Father, that only He knows the day and the hour. If you remember that in Acts chapter 1. And, and so we need to understand, though, we should be looking for the signs that He gave. Now, we see that in our world today. If you're paying attention, you see it. And I want you to pay close attention to what He said in the last part. Of verse number seven. Kingdom will shall rise against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Look back at verse six. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. Everybody see that? Jesus is saying, look, don't let this worry you. Don't let this steal your peace. Don't let this steal your joy. Because all of this must come to pass. Or, or really what he's telling us, God has a plan. That plan is going to come to fruition. And all of these things that I'm telling you have to come to pass for God's plan to be fulfilled. So like I told you Sunday, everything we're seeing, folks, is happening according to plan. God's plan. It must come to pass. Now, I'm telling you as a blood vault, born again believer you need not worry over the days that you're going to face I'm telling you that you may go through times of persecution tribulation we all may see the world change greatly over the coming months and years but I can tell you this God will be with you through it all. Can you say amen? amen? He never leaves nor forsakes you. God does not promise us 
that we won't go through times um, of tribulation or persecution. Matter of fact, he said we would go through a, a lot of those times. But now listen, I want you to understand. He says, I have overcome the world. And for that tonight, I am thankful. You can rest in Jesus. You should rest in Jesus, knowing that he's with you, knowing that he's for you, and knowing no matter what happens physically to us in this world, nothing can take away the gift of salvation that he's given to each and every one who's trusted in him. And so listen, we rest in him. We look to him. We keep our eyes on Him. We don't focus on everything we see going on in the world, what we see and what we hear, but we focus on Christ. And we remember all these things must come to pass. Let me give you another verse. Philippians chapter number 4. And look down with me, if you will, to verse number 6. Some great advice here that all of us need to take to heart. He says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. So what he's saying is don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Be careful for nothing. Don't let your hearts be burdened down with worry and fear. Don't worry about it. Pray about it. Now when he says um, nothing, he's talking... He means just that. We shouldn't worry about anything. There is nothing that should grip the child of hearts, a child of God's heart with fear and worry as long as we're focusing on Him. Don't allow the enemy to steal your peace by causing you to worry and fear and fret. You don't have to do that. He says don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. God promises to listen to your prayer, and God promises to answer in accordance to His will. If you believe it, say amen. So tonight, remember, all these things that you're seeing happening, these things must come to pass according to God's plan and in His time. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Trust in the Lord and focus on Jesus. Pay attention to what's going on. But put your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody take your Bibles now. Look with me there in Hebrews chapter number 9. That was not my message. But I, just, I just felt led to share that with you tonight. Hebrews chapter 9. And we're going to look primarily at one verse. Verse number 22 from the book of Hebrews this evening. We went over the, uh, the, the tabernacle um, pretty much all through Hebrews chapter number 9. And talked about how it compares... The heavenly tabernacle compares and contrasts with the Old Testament tabernacle that uh, God gave to his people there and, and what all that means. So really what I want to focus on tonight is just verse number 22. We're going to go to different places in the Word of God. So uh, if you're taking notes, then, then get ready. I'm going to give you some scriptures that you can write down and go back and look at more in depth later. Uh, but tonight, I want to talk to you about um, the power of the blood. How many of you know nothing but the blood of Jesus can cleanse our sin. Yeah. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that's what Hebrews 9.22 is talking about. He says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood, 
there is no remission. The word remission means forgiveness. And so he's telling us without the shedding of the blood, sins can't be forgiven. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for this good day. Thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I'm so thankful that even though we live in a world full of confusion and chaos and turmoil, that, Lord, you are still in control, that you are still on the throne, and you have a plan that you're fulfilling according to your time. And, Lord, you've promised that you'll never leave us nor forsake us no matter what we face in this world. And I'm thankful this evening we can rest in you. And we rest in you and we trust in you. Help us all to do that. Help us all to focus on you, Lord Jesus, above everything else. Lord, I'm praying tonight that you give us the truth of what your word is saying. And, Lord, I'm praying if there be one here that needs to be saved, you'd save them. And, Lord, if, and if there's not one here that hasn't yet trusted in you, would you encourage us through your word and show us just how much you love us and Lord, just how much we should be serving and loving you. Lord, we're asking that you would make a difference in our life tonight, that we'd be different when we leave here than we were when we came, that Lord, you would help us to be by your power what you saved us to be. Lord, help us to be your hands and feet each and every day. In Christ's name we pray and for your sake. Amen. So uh, there's an old hymn song that, that I absolutely love. We sing it a lot around here still. And it's called Nothing But the Blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. There's no other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I absolutely love that old hymn song. That's one of my top five favorites. Uh, and I loved it because it's powerful. And listen to me. It's powerful because the truth of the words of that song find their foundation straight from the precious, powerful Word of God. That what, that's what makes any song powerful, powerful. That's what makes any message powerful when it finds its truth in the Word of God. So let's look tonight at what the Bible says concerning uh, that there's nothing but the blood that, 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 can, that can cleanse sin. And that's what he, he makes clear here in Hebrews 9.22. Without the shedding of blood, there is... No remission of sin. I love Dr. J. Vernon McGee, and he says something concerning the Bible. He says the Bible is a bloody book, and you can't cut it without it bleeding. <laughs> you can't open it up without seeing the blood. There is a scarlet thread that starts in the book of Genesis and goes all through the Word of God to the book of Revelation, speaking on the power of the blood. There's three things that I want to make clear to you tonight. First of all, I want to talk to you about the prophecy of the blood. Then we're going to talk about the provision of the blood. And then we're going to talk about the power of the blood and what that means for us. So let's look at, first of all, the prophecy of the blood that we find all throughout the Word of God. And we're going to start all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 21. Brother, if you will, please put that on the screen for me. And I'm not going to read all of this. I'm not going to go verse by verse through a lot of this, but you can later, and I encourage you to do so. But in Genesis chapter 3, you'll find the story of when Adam and Eve chose to disobey the Lord. God had told them, don't take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because when you do, you're going to die. And what they do? They, they did exactly what God told them not to. And when that happened, sin entered mankind, sin entered the world, and Adam and Eve that day spiritually died. They spiritually died simply because of sin. Sin had then separated them from God. Sin had broke the relationship they had with God. And look what God does. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. 
and unto Adam also and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. Now, if you remember, you can go back and read later, but you've probably read this before. When they sinned, they found out they were naked. Now, they didn't knew they were naked before, but uh, then that they were shamed because of their sin. And so what they do? The Bible says they sewed fig leaves and put them together. But what did God say? Look, those fig leaves that you made are not enough to cover your sin. That's not what you need. So what did God do? God killed an animal and made Adam and Eve coats of skin, which speaks to and points to the blood sacrifice having to be shed so that sin could be covered. That's already talking about um, the coming Christ. That's already prophesying the coming Jesus. It's a type of Jesus we find right here in Genesis chapter number 3 at the very beginning of the Word of God. So God, first and foremost, killed an animal, blood was shed, sin was covered, and, and that's the typology of Jesus that we find right there um, in, in Genesis chapter number 3. Go to Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. You're going to find the story of Cain and Abel. You remember the story of Cain and Abel. Those were the sons of Adam and Eve. And the Bible says that when it came time to sacrifice, that both of these boys bought, brought sacrifices under the Lord. Genesis chapter 4, verse 3. And the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Verse 4. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering. And verse 5 says, <clears throat> But unto Cain and his offering he had no respect. And, and Cain was very wroth or angry, and his countenance fell. Well, let me ask you something. Why did God not respect the offering of Cain? Well, I'll tell you what. First of all, Cain did not do what God had always commanded. God taught Adam and Eve there in the garden that if sin was going to be covered, blood sacrifice had to be made. And Adam had taught their boys that if sin was going to be covered, a blood sacrifice had to be made. But when it came time for the boys to sacrifice, Cain didn't do what God wanted. He didn't give uh, the, the blood sacrifice that God required. What did he give? He gave of the works of his own hands. He said, God, look what I've done. Man, I've worked hard out in the field, and I've pulled the weeds, and I've pulled the garden, and I've, I've got water to the plants. And I've worked really hard out there in the garden. And I've brought all of the first fruits of my garden to you. Cain was trusting in what he could do. Cain was trusting in his own work. And God said, no, that's not going to cover sin. What you need to do is do just like your brother and bring a blood sacrifice. What is God saying in Genesis chapter 3 and in Genesis chapter 4? Right here on the threshold of the word of God. He's saying that without the shedding of blood... There is no remission of sin. There's no covering for sin. There's no forgiveness for sin for you and me without the shedding of blood. This wasn't a new thing. This was from the very beginning of the book. Right in the beginning of the book of Genesis. How many of you know that the shedding of blood is not something that's accidental or incidental? The shedding of blood that's taught in the Word of God, the power of the blood, the, 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 the need for the shedding of blood for sins to be forgiven. Listen, this is a foundational and fundamental concept for the Christian faith. And it starts in Genesis, goes all the way through Revelation. But folks, it began even before that. 
Revelation chapter number 3. The Bible tells us something here that I absolutely love. And you need to write this one down for sure. Revelation 13.8. Revelation 13.8. The Bible says that before the foundation of the world, um, it was planned that Jesus would have to die. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. Um, excuse me. Revelation chapter. Give the wrong verse, my brother. I'm sorry. Look at 8.13. Somebody look up for me. The Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Yes, there we go. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose name is not written in the book of Lamb's book of life. The Lamb slain from the foundation. Well, did I have that right to begin with? Yes. 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 What are y'all telling me? The Lamb slain for the foundation of the world. Everybody see that? Now, what's that saying? That's saying that long before the beginning, God had a plan for Jesus to die. That's always been God's plan. Again, it's not accidental or incidental. This is fundamental and foundational to our Christian faith, to being born again into the family of God. It began before the foundation of the world. And since the world's been here, even from the beginning, God's been prophesying about it. We see it in Genesis chapter 3. We see it in Genesis chapter 4. What about Genesis chapter number um, 22? Genesis chapter 22 Verse number two, God spoke to Abraham. Y'all remember Abraham? We talked a lot about him Sunday. God made a covenant with him in Genesis 12 and 3. And he said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless those that bless you. I'm going to curse those that curse you. And it's through you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. So God made that covenant with Abraham. Abraham believed God. The Bible says it was counted unto him as righteousness. How do you believe that when you place faith in who God is and what God says, it's counted unto us as righteousness as well? If you believe that, say amen. amen. We too are the people of faith, just like Abraham. We've trusted in who God is. We've trusted in what God says. We've believed the book. Praise the Lord. The Bible says faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. And we place faith in God and what he's promised. Righteousness is put on our account, just like Abraham's. So Abraham became the, the, the man of God, the father of the nation of Israel. And then all the way in Genesis chapter 22, God had made good on his promise. And he gave him the son of promise in the person of Isaac. But God said to him, Abraham, I want you to go and sacrifice your one and only son. Genesis 22, verse number 2. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I tell thee of. And so he said, all right, Abraham, take the son I've given you, the son of promise. I want you to go up and sacrifice him unto me. 
Verse 13. Abraham says, okay, God, I'm going to believe by faith. I'm going to do what you tell me to do. And if I kill him like you tell me to, then I'm trusting by faith you're going to raise him up because this is the son of promise. This is the son you said he's going to give me. My brother and sister, that's faith. When you believe God enough to say, okay, God, I'll do what you tell me. But if I kill him, I believe you're able to even raise him up because you're going to make good on what you promised all the way back in Genesis 12. We'll look at that more in depth when we come to the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Then in verse number 13, look what happens. I love this. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold him, and behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Blood sacrifice. It started in the garden. Continued in the life of Cain and Abel. Now we see it in the life of the father of the faith, Abraham. God is continuing this idea, this truth, that blood must be shed for sin to be forgiven. That's all pointing to Jesus, every bit of it. Do you remember back in Genesis chapter number 8? The Bible says that the world had become sinful. So much so that the thoughts and intents of men's heart was upon evil continually. And God said, I've had enough. I'm starting all over. And I'm going to start all over with a man named Noah and his family. So he commanded Noah to build an ark. He said, Noah, I'm fixing to flood the earth. You and your family get into the ark. When I tell you to, that's what Noah did. The Bible says God shut the door and it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And then after God had did exactly what he told Noah he was going to do. And after Noah had been faithful, he would, he had, listen to me now, he had placed faith in who God is and what God said, placed faith in the truth of what God had told him, and he was saved. How was he saved? By faith. When everybody else said, Noah, you're crazy, it's never rained on the earth before, we're in the middle of a desert, then you ain't going to need no boat. No, no, what did Noah do? Noah believed God. Faith is saved. But then in Genesis chapter 8 and verse number 20, after all was said and done, and the water had stopped rising, the Bible says that Noah sacrificed unto the Lord. This was 2,000 years after Adam. But God continued this message of the blood sacrifice and what it means. What is he saying? He's saying over and over and over again, all throughout the Old Testament, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Do you remember Exodus chapter 12? By this time, the nation of Israel had been in bondage in Egypt for about 400 years. They were crying out to the Lord because their taskmasters, the slave masters, was making life hard on them. They cried unto the Lord for a deliverer, and God sent them a deliverer, the man named Moses. And when Moses got there, he told Pharaoh, he said, Pharaoh, God sent me to tell you to let the people go. Pharaoh said, all right, I'll let them go in the morning. But every time, the next morning, what do you do? Keep crawfish on the deal. So there came a time when Moses said, all right, Pharaoh, God's told me there's some plagues coming, and that's exactly what happened. There were several plagues leveled against the nation of Israel. Think about eight of them. 
Maybe nine. Anyway, the last plague that was came to the nation or came to the to the nation of Egypt because of of, of the people of Israel was what's called the uh, the death of the firstborn. You remember that? And, and Moses told the the, the the nation of Israel from. Because God had told it to him, he gave the word of the Lord to the people. He said, what you've got to do is kill a lamb without spot or blemish. And you've got to apply the blood to the doorpost. And when the death angel sees the blood that's been applied on your house, he will not enter in. But if the blood hasn't been applied, then the firstborn from that house is going to be killed. Genesis 12, 3. Speak ye. Exodus. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. Verse 4, watch this. And if the house be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make your count for the lamb. Verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. Verse 6. Look at this now. And you shall keep it on the 14th day of the same month, and the whole of the of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. The lamb without spot or blemish had to die. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two sides of the post, on the upper door post, the houses, wherein ye shall eat it. Verse number 8. And they take and they shall eat of it in the flesh at night, roast it with fire, and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Go on, brother. Watch this right here. Eat not of it raw, nor sod it all with water, but roast with fire his head with his legs and with the pertinence thereof. And you shall let nothing of it remain in the next morning, and that which remaineth in the next morning you shall burn it with fire. And thus shall you eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. What God is saying is get everything ready. Put your shoes on. Get your clothes packed. I'm about to bring you out of bondage and bring you to a place of blessing. And all of it's going to happen because of the shed blood of the Lamb. So what's God saying in Genesis 3, Genesis 4, Genesis 20, Genesis, or Genesis 22, Genesis 8? What's God saying right here in Exodus chapter 12? I'll tell you what he's saying. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The Bible is truly a bloody book. Wherever you cut it, it's going to bleed. There's a scarlet red that runs from scarlet thread that runs from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. And I can go on and on and on and on and tell you story after story after story, time after time after time, that the Lord taught the message through His Word, through His prophets, of the power of the blood, the necessity of the blood. So we see the prophecy of the blood all throughout Scripture. Now go back to Hebrews 9.22. Look what else it says. And almost all the things are by the law purged with blood. So he brings our attention back to the Old Covenant. He said, listen, there was a lot of blood shedding under the Old Covenant. I mean, every year, on a daily basis, there were sacrifices made of turtle doves and, and lambs and bullocks 
And the Bible says all kinds of different sacrifices were made under the law, under the sacrificial system, so that the sins of the people might be covered over and over and over again. By the law, all things were purged with blood. But let me ask you something. Was it enough? Was it enough? Now, we're getting ahead of ourselves just a little bit in the Hebrews chapter 10. But go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. Watch what the Bible tells us there. For the law having a shadow. Everybody says shadow. All of those things that we've read and talked about in the Old Testament are just foreshadowing the true Lamb of God that would come and take away the sin of the world. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continue to make the comers therein too perfect. So though all of those sacrifices were made were not sufficient. They were not enough. Verse 2. Watch this. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sin. Verse 3. Watch this. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins Every year. They've got to keep doing it. They've got to keep back going back and shedding blood over and over and over and over again. Now, all of those things that they were doing was a foreshadowing of the coming lamb pointing to the coming lamb, just like Abel's offering pointed to the coming lamb in Genesis chapter 4. Just like when God Himself Killed the animal in Genesis chapter 3 and covered Adam and Eve. All of that was pointing to the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. It was a shadow of good things to come. Verse 4 says, It's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Never been possible. All that was doing was getting us ready. For the true love of God in the person of the Lord Jesus. Now, the provision of the Lamb is this. All of that that happened in the Old Testament was pointing to Christ who was coming. And when he got here, God made it plain exactly who had come on the scene. Genesis, John chapter number 1 and verse number 29. Watch what it says. The next day, John being John the Baptist. Who's John the Baptist? The forerunner of Christ. The one who was preaching the kingdom of God when Jesus got here. Baptizing in the river Jordan. The first cousin of Jesus. John sees Jesus coming unto him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. Look, there he is. That's the one we've been looking for. That's what, he's what all of this other stuff's about. He's the true Lamb of God. That takes away the sin. Why did Jesus come as God incarnate in the flesh? So he could be born perfect. So that he would be free of a sinful nature. So that he might live perfect and satisfy the righteous standard of God through a perfect life. And listen, if he was going to die for sin, he had to be the lamb without spot or blemish. Couldn't be just any lamb. Had to be that perfect lamb. Jesus was the perfect lamb. 
He wasn't born in sin. Therefore, he never committed sin. Sin with many. Then the Bible says, his blood was shed for us. God provided a lamb in the person of his son so that his blood would be shed for the remission of my sin and your sin. We've seen the prophecy of the blood, the, the provision of the blood in the person of Jesus through his finished work, his shed blood on Calvary. Now I want you to see the power of the blood. The power of the blood. How many know if the blood is not applied, listen to me now. If the blood is not applied, it can't cleanse sin. Back in Genesis chapter 12, when the blood was shed from the lamb, what had to happen? It had to be put on the doorpost. Now I submit to you, that was an act of faith in doing that. <laughs> I don't know why it takes a blood sacrifice. I don't know why this is what you want, but this is what you say. This is what you commanded. This is what I'm going to do because I trust you. So I'm going to take the blood of this lamb and I'm going to paint the left side and the right side and the top of my doorpost. By faith, blood was applied. How is the blood of Christ applied to us today? Same way. By faith. When we are saved, we trust in the fact that Jesus died for my sin on the cross. It was for me he died. And I'm trusting in the fact that his death was enough. And when I trust my faith in who Christ is and what he has done, the Bible teaches the blood is applied to my heart and life and the sin that separates me from God is cleansed and taken away. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But it must be applied. There's four principles that a church needs if it's going to be effective. First of all, the preaching of the book. The preaching of the Bible. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? Word of the Lord. So we must keep preaching the book. The Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish. But unto us who believe, it's the power of God and the salvation. So we've got to stick with the stuff. We've got to keep preaching the book. But let me tell you something else. It's not just about the book. We've got to preach the blood. Amen? Listen, we, we can't just give... Um, information on, on just how to live life. We've got to give information on how sin is forgiven. Does the Bible give us instructions on living? Absolutely. But now listen to me. You can't even follow those instructions rightly unless you've got your sin problem taken care of. And so we've got to preach the blood. And then we've got to preach. Listen to me now. Not only the book, not only the blood, but also, we must preach the necessity of the birth. We need people to know, look, there has to be a moment in time when you choose to place trust in Christ and you are born again into the family of God. 
I'm going to be honest with you. I believe in an experience. I know the moment when I trusted in Jesus and he changed me on the inside that's made a difference on the outside. I remember when that took place. I experienced the Lord in a way like never before. And I knew he'd done something that only he could do. In that moment, he made a difference in me. There must be a new birth. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, if you're going to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And folks, this, that same truth still rings true today. You must be born again. More to it than you're just trying to do better. More to it than you just cleaning your life up and getting in church. Have you had an experience with the living God? Do you know that you know that you've made, placed your faith in Jesus? And again, He's made a difference on the inside that's made a difference on the outside. The book, the blood, the necessity of the new birth. And we also preach the truth of the blessed hope. What is our blessed hope? We sang about it when we started tonight. In 10,000 years, when we're in heaven with Him, we'll just be getting started. There's only 6,000 years of recorded human history. Think about that just a moment. In 10,000 years, we'll just be getting started. We will live with Him forever. He will rule and reign forever. I'm telling you, Jesus will one day visibly come to planet Earth. We'll all see Him. He will rule and reign on this planet. The first time He came as the suffering Savior, the next time He comes, He's coming as conquering King. And the Bible teaches there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and all who trusted in Him will rule and reign with Him. This is our blessed hope. And we've got to preach these things. We've got to teach these things. We've got to hold to these things. Why? Because that's what the Bible teaches. There's power in the precious blood of Christ. What am, what am I talking about? The power of the blood. What's it do for us? Well, number one, it redeems us. It redeems us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your Father. I love this verse. Let me tell you why. First of all, it talks about redemption. When Peter was writing this epistle, there was about 20 million slaves in the Roman Empire. Now, a slave in that day could redeem themselves. And what I mean by that, if they could save enough money, or somehow inherit some money, or somebody gave them some money, and they got enough silver and gold, they could go and buy their freedom from their slave master. And they could pay for their freedom, and they would be redeemed. They would be set free from their slavery. Now, the Bible teaches, Jesus said, 
that those who commit sin, well, were slaves to sin. And he's right. He's right for each and every one of us. But then he says, John 8.32, I think it is, or maybe 8.36, he says, whom the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. But the only way you can be redeemed is if your debt's paid. Now, Peter makes it clear. He says, look, we're not redeemed by silver and gold. We're not redeemed like physical slaves are redeemed. We're redeemed not by what we can do, what we can pay. We're redeemed by what Christ has done. Put 1 Peter 1.18 back up there. Watch how he puts it. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things or money, possessions, silver and gold um, from your vain conversation. He said it wasn't silver and gold that redeemed you. And it certainly wasn't your empty um, lifestyle, your vain conversation. That's what the word conversation there means. Your lifestyle, your, your, your fleshly works. That ain't what redeemed you. That's not what set you free. You, you, you were certainly not redeemed by the tradition of your fathers. That's not what redeemed you. That's not what redeemed me. Go on to verse number 19. Watch this. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So what has redeemed us or bought us back, paid the price for our sin debt? And nothing other than the shed blood of Jesus. The blood redeems us. But let me tell you something else. The blood reconciles us. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 13. I love this verse. Ephesians 2.13, the Apostle Paul, here writing to the church in Ephesus, says that we are made nigh who were once afar off by the blood of Jesus. But now in Christ Jesus, you were who once were afar off or made nigh by the blood of, blood of Christ. We were once separated from God, alienated from the promises of God. But he goes on to say, because of the shed blood of Jesus, you who once were separated have been reconciled. You've been brought near. Isn't that good news? All of that is because of the power of the blood. The blood redeems us. The blood reconciles us. Let me give you another one. The blood makes us acceptable to God who is holy. Colossians 1.20. And I'm done. The Bible says, And having made peace, through the blood of his cross. Isn't that good? Jesus, because of the blood shed at the cross, and that's applied to our heart and life. Listen to me. We are made acceptable to God and put at peace with him. By him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say whether the things be in earth or the things be in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated, and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. How did he do it? By the blood of his cross. See, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that pre-Jesus, before we placed faith in Christ and the blood of Jesus was applied to our heart and life, we were enemies of God. And if you're here tonight and you've not yet been born again, you are still an enemy of God. You are under the wrath of God, the Bible says. But I am thankful through the blood of Christ, 
we can be made at peace with God, acceptable to Him, not because of what we've done, because of the cleansing blood of Christ. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flame that makes us white as snow. It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. Folks, that's our message. That's the message we preach to a lost and dying world. It's faith in Christ and His finished work that makes you right with God. If you believe it, say amen. Any comments or questions?